This principle of success is called the Mastermind Principle. The, 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 the Mastermind Your Life Podcast. Podcast. If you're wanting to realize your ideas, goals, and dreams, and on the journey of masterminding your life, it's time for the podcast made just for you. This is the Mastermind Your Life Podcast. With Tolu Owoyemi. Owoyemi. Hey, 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 what's going on, my masterminders? Welcome to another episode of Mastermind Your Life. We got Tamika Means in the house, the CEO of Prison Love Mindset, teaching women how to love themselves while they love their incarcerated partners. Tamika, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Tolu. I appreciate you inviting me on your show. I'm excited to really, you know, just let people know what I'm what I have going on because there's so many people in the world who are, you know, affected by incarceration. So thank you so much. Yes, and you know, incarceration is one of those things whereby, you know, I think it gets swept under the rug or like the shadows or it's like, hey, you know, this is not like entertainment that is, you know, brought to the forefront. So we want to appreciate you for being somebody of value that's helping people cope, you know, through their uh, dilemmas or traumas or, you know, difficulties or challenges that they're going to and being somebody that's in there. So that's definitely huge because you are value. Definitely. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that is overrun by stigmas. Mm. You know, there are people who are supporting and loving individuals in prison currently now, mm. but they're in hiding. Wow. So, you know, you know somebody. I'm 100% certain that you know somebody right now in your life that may have a parent or a child a close cousin, somebody that is in prison. That's right. You just don't know it. So there's a reason why, it, 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 if there weren't so many stigmas and stereotypes, one, attached to the people who are in prison, and two, stereotypes and stigmas attached to the family, then this would be more of a uh, open conversation, something that people wouldn't shy away from. So tell us about your introduction to this world. What got Tamika interested in this world? Mm, my introduction. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's never been asked that way to me, the introduction. Well, my introduction came, well, let's see, it's been about seven, about eight years now, actually. Wow. My husband went, he left the house. See, I was five months pregnant and I had a two-year-old son at that time. And my husband left out to go return a game to GameStop. Wow. And, you know, that 45 minutes that he should have been back by turned into an hour, turned into two hours, turned into five hours. And as you can imagine, as a wife, we were supposed to go out and watch the Orioles game. Because I remember the Orioles were in the playoffs, the wow. local baseball team, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so we had plans. And it wasn't like my husband not to call or text me if he was running late. So, you know, by the end of the evening, Tolu, I was calling hospitals, I was calling uh, police stations, and it even got to the point around about, 11, after I called family, you know, I, and no one, no whereabouts. And I live in Baltimore City. Mm -hmm. I think around maybe close to midnight is when I finally called the police and filed the missing persons report. And 
my thought process at that moment was that my husband was laying dead in the alleyway somewhere in Baltimore City. Wow. And I wouldn't wish that feeling on nobody. Like, I'm literally filling out a missing persons report. Mm. And the police officer is like, oh, well, he's probably, he probably got drunk somewhere and forgot, you know, he got caught up. And I'm like, no. Exactly. That's not my husband. So that is how this all started. You know, I didn't find out till the next day. I remember I went to work the next day. I'm not sure where my son was. I don't remember dropping him off anywhere. But it wasn't until he called me the next day and told me that he got, had gotten locked up. And that was the start or the introduction of how I am where I am today. And that journey just took me down, down a whole emotional roller coaster ride, you know. But that was the introduction. Got it. <laughs> so what did he get locked up for? Because he was just going to go return a game to GameStop. So that is something I do not talk about for two reasons. Number one, it's not my story. I wasn't there. I can't verify or deny anything that may have happened. Though I will say it stemmed from uh, from someone threatening me um, and I, while I was pregnant. And the second reason I never discuss it is because there are family members out there who do not feel comfortable. Though I'm not, I don't feel, uh, I don't have a discomfort level of talking about it, but I choose not to out of the respect for the family members who feel uncomfortable talking about it. So I've always made it my position to not make it about, because I stand for the family, the spouse at home, I always make a decision not to speak on it because I never want someone to feel uncomfortable if their spouse has committed a crime or not committed a crime that they feel uncomfortable about talking or if it's added stigma to their crime. So I just that's just my position. And you know, if my husband were here, I would say, hey, you talk. Okay, um, and I think that I find that respectable. Uh, now, from that situation, my assumption is that he went to jail for some period of time? Yes. Okay, so could you explain like how you were able to cope with that or some of the things that you learned during that process? Uh, definitely. So... Well, initially when it happened, I was very depressed. I couldn't really function. It was a struggle just to put my, by this time, my my son was, my second son was born. So now I had a newborn and a three, a three year old. And it was such a struggle just to even put the kids in car seats. Like just to have the energy to get the kids ready to go to the store. Like that was a lot. Um, even just like when my three-year-old was hungry and, you know, and I could tell he was hungry, I, it was like a disturbance to me because all I wanted to do was just lay in bed, lay in silence and let the TV drown me, drown my grief out basically. And for a long time, I honestly felt guilty for saying this, what I'm about to say, but, uh, it really felt like someone died. Wow. Like that's how powerful that that feeling was it really felt like someone died in my life and I feel guilty for saying it because he didn't actually die he's still physically here but that grief that I felt that pain was very very it was identical to the grief I felt like when my grandparents passed and you know feeling that 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 pain that anxiety I felt anxiety too with you know so I went through all that so coping through this process Tolu was 
me coming to a realization that I had to make a change, first of all. Mm. So I think for some people, like, I mean, for me, it, my coping started, or healthy coping, my healthy coping started when I realized that I was negatively impacting my oldest son. So like he was having some problems in school and it's just like, that's not my son. And I realized one day when I was standing in, I was at my mother-in-law's house and I was standing in the kitchen. My son was standing over getting ready. I think he was getting ready to walk into the uh, bathroom. And I glanced, I caught his eyes and I just saw all this stress and this burden in his eyes. And I'm like, what does a three-year-old have to be so stressed about? And it was like almost instantaneous. Like I realized that that burden he's carrying was my burden. Wow. He was absorbing or whatever that, that however you want to describe it, uh, my energy was was now his energy. Mm-hmm. And then it, it happened, so the thought process was so fast. Like in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, single mom, raising two black sons. I'm in Baltimore city, the father's incarcerated. If I don't get my act together and get myself up and getting back to my normal self and excelling, like I am potentially derailing the future of my children. Wow. So that's how it started. I know I haven't actually answered your question yet, but <laughs> that is the initial start of my coping. Um, but to answer your question, how did I cope? I cope by really focusing on me, honestly. Mm. Because when you do this journey, you spend a lot of your time focusing on the incarcerated loved one. You're focused on his needs, his or her needs. You're focused on what I can do to make his life better. That's right. And you tend to get caught up in all of that and you forget about yourself. But as I've learned, life is either gonna, you can either make a choice to Uh, care enough about yourself or life will force you to make that decision at Mm -hmm. some point because you can't just keep going and and pouring everything into somebody else without first pouring into yourself so what I started do started doing was you know looking after what I needed you know what are my goals what do I need in this moment mentally and physically and I honestly remember one, literally the first thing I did to Luth when I made that when I had that realization about my children was that I turned all my radio stations. So I used to listen to the local like like was like R and B, hip hop, you know. Mm-hmm. I turned my radio station to a local like Christian contemporary channel. Yeah. Because at that moment, or not just at that moment, from then on, I just needed all positive words in my life. And this channel, all the songs they played were just very uplifting. It was all positivity. You know, I don't need to hear no song about somebody getting shot. That's right. Or somebody, you know, or, or something crazy that's just not going to fill me up in a positive manner. So I cleaned up my environment. That's what I did. And me changing that radio station was the, literally the first thing I did. Were there any kind of support programs that were provided by the prison or the jail or the county or anything of that nature that assisted you? <laughs> We're gonna have a moment of silence for that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Tolu, no, 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 no. 
And here, this is why I need to exist. No, that's right. I'm not going to shout on your podcast, but no. Go ahead. There's not any support. And this is why we need more people in this space because I felt alone. I felt isolated. I felt like there was no help at all. And there's support groups out there. Don't get me wrong on Facebook and other places. But in my opinion, it was just a bunch of cheerleading. You can do it. You got to be a ride or die chick. But the other word, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and all these things, clean weight. You know, I'm like, what? none of this is helping me. Mm. Like, I got real bills. I got real children I got to feed. You know, my mental state is, 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 is in a place of, you know, if I don't fix it, then I could be headed for destruction. So, no, them, them prisons are not worrying about us. Let me Don't get me started. <laughs> like, they barely provide services for our, our, our loved ones coming home and making sure that they're on the right path. We could spend all day Taluk talking about, or excuse me, Taluk talking about how prison is a business, literally. You know what's interesting? So, Today, I saw on Instagram, uh, his name was uh, Prison Investor One or Investing uh, Prison One. And it's kind of interesting, but that was the first time I've ever seen anything like that. But he talked about how the purchase for a uh, Nevada prison was about $30 million. Uh, he put uh, 7.5 down by going to different investors and family and friends and family. And he was talking about how uh, it was profiting him about um, $150,000 uh, per uh, year, something of that nature. But he was describing like how like each inmate, the bed, the facility, like the food and everything they get, and how they're compensated for providing all of that. So, and it, it was like a thread on Twitter, something like that. And then he talked about how uh, using the funds from that, he's now able to invest into other prisons too as well. So uh, it was something that I saw for the first time today. I was like, whoa, that really uh, resonated with my spirit in a way that I was like, that's kind of, is that even, that doesn't, is that, oh, is that morally or ethically right? But um, that kind of then makes me see, you know, when I'm talking to you, maybe those guys, they don't care about providing that kind of support or program because they're like, yo, we trying to run and get this money first. So all that other stuff is out the, out the side windows. Unfortunately, and it gets deep, a lot deeper than that. You know, you check out the stock market, you know, there's some companies on there that are on the stock market that are, you know, prisons are uh, benefiting. So the more you dig into this, the more you're going to find. But you got to think, prisons have stemmed from slavery, Mm. right? You go back into history, you know, looking at the, you know, um, black codes and all the things that we've been through, Jim Crow era, you know, there's a lot of things systemically and and legally that have been put in place to continue to enslave, especially our, you know, brown and black people, right? That's right. So it's no coincidence that the numbers of people who are incarcerated continue to increase year after year. And not even getting into the conversation about the people who are falsely accused, right? You know, back in the day, even if you looked at a white woman a certain way, that's a jailable offense, yeah. right? That's a lynchable so offense. 
Say it again. That's a lynchable offense from what I remember. Yeah, so, you know, it, unfortunately our country is built on laws that um, encourage imprisonment. That's right. So it, it has only, though slavery is not here in the sense that it used to be, as I say, it evolves. So maybe in the future, jails or prisons won't exist in the same way. Maybe it'll be people on ankle monitors and they're trailing their, you know, you know, at some point something's gonna, there's gonna be a shift. I don't know what the shift is gonna be, but enslavement just involved, uh, evolves into different forms. That's all. Yeah. But our history, unfortunately, is not, is built off of free labor and, you know, Prison is a form of free labor for some companies, right? Because a lot of companies are built off of the labor that is provided by our uh, fellow human beings who are in prisons. That's right. So and that is the state that we are in right now. Yeah, and it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, looking back through, and I don't know if you can answer, was it like four years that you had to uh, cope with him being there or... Could you touch on that? Oh, six and a half, six and a half years. Now, if you could go back in time, right? What would you build that you would have wanted the system to have offered? Ooh, okay, ask me that again. If you could go back in time, what would you have built that you want the system to offer? That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> well, it'd be nice if there were actual rehab opportunities mm. so the way it's set up right now there's there you know if we're truly wanting people to come home from prison and to never go back yeah then we want things in place to legitimately in every single facility have job training um have uh mental health counseling Where's the mental health counseling? We send these people into prisons, they come home worse. And then we expect them to be law-abiding uh, citizens that are walking around just perfectly fine. And it's far from the opposite, right? Like, we, we, we send them in there and they're not getting better. So we need to have services that are going to help them come home better than where, where they went in. You know, there's a lot of violence in prison. And, you know, it's not an environment. The environment is not set up set up for success. So if it was set up, and, and unfortunately it also trickles down, not just to prisons, because it doesn't start in prisons. It starts at the level of the police. And, you know, I've heard that, you know, they have to keep the prisons filled to a certain capacity, right? Definitely. Time to lock up more people. Now I'm coming. We don't wanna go down that road, but. <laughs> so having services in place that are actually sending people home better not worse so mental health skills that they need to survive in this world and when they get home having the things in place you know who's helping them set up their driver's life like my husband is struggling right now with this driver's license thing you know like he's 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 jumping through hoops with one leg and then he has to do some backflips <laughs> oh, so man. you know it's, it's a struggle and when you don't have a valid id what happens you can't get a job right and it, it, you know, your family is, 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 is the person on the other side of that, right? So these are all these things that are happening to families, right? So there's not, he said that, what did he say to me the other day? He feels inadequately prepared. Mm. And he's an intelligent man. 
and he only did seven years. He said, I feel inadequate. It's not, he's like, I understand that stuff happens in life, but he's like, I feel inadequately prepared. So if we truly were wanting people to learn a lesson or to deter them from crime or whatever that they say is the plan for prison, we're not doing it. It's not doing it. I see. Right? We're not sending people home prepared to get jobs, to find adequate housing. What we're doing is we're putting more anxiety, more stress on them. You have people out here who, who are going to be escaping through different, maybe heading back to crime or maybe using drugs because they're so depressed or have so much anxiety or maybe coming home with those problems. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, talking to you reveals so much weakness and not just that, but uh, it seems a intentional mindset that maybe yeah we want them to come back even though we say you know we want to because when you think about it you would want to do everything in your power to improve that person's mindset to job training skills like be able to bring them back into society in a way whereby they're able to contribute greatly to society i think and things like that are not that's not like the most difficult thing in the world. A, a training curriculum, uh, a classroom setting environment. Uh, there's even companies whereby they they're looking for staff. They're looking for workers. They're they're looking for people that can be trained. And uh, you can have those companies actually have like workshops or um, technical institutions within it. So you know, I, I think you're right. You know, there's people that may. Uh, Hey, that's that's not in our best benefit, you know. Even though it may be in the best benefit of the people, and I think that uh, it's something whereby, uh, and I didn't know this before. I've heard of it, but I was like, oh, it's privately ran. So I guess if something is like uh, privately ran, um, it has its own. Um, they're allowed to be their own judge, jury, and, you know, executioner of how they want their policies to uh, be. But I would think this also has to be some kind of like governmental, like federal kind of like governing body to make sure that, hey, look, you can't just do anything that you want and you have to have uh, training or rehab type facilities that are included within the um, programs that you offer. So, uh, but, at last, we are not the ones in that board of uh, directors conference room or, you know, making these high level decisions. So I, I think that goes to show that, you know, we as a people have to be, um, we have to gain, yeah, the network, the, the network, the financial means to then buy these locations and be like, all right, we know it's best or we are going to try a different method. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, uh, let's just say if you're running a, a hospital, right? You want to keep your costs down. It's not in the best interest to take on or do or bring in programs that are going to skyrocket your cost. So that's equivalent to sending the prisons bring in certain programs. They got to pay for this stuff, right? Or, you know, for anything that they bring in that's going to help them 
that's not helping them bring in money it's a cost to them mm-hmm. so because it's a business it's not in their best interest to bring in programs that are going to take from their bottom line that's right so you know money money moves people it does money money it speaks does. it does so, you know when the people say you got to follow the money <laughs> follow the money then some people say so, money's life you know, these burdens unfortunately fall onto the family members right so the family that's at home caring for them they they bear the the brunt of the burden because at the end of the day you know it, and maybe in some cases they don't have family wow. right not everyone has family to come home to but the family member is the one that has to pick up the pieces and try to keep them going and, and, you know, help their loved one move in the right direction. And if they're not qualified to handle mental, uh, or mental, you know, counseling type issues, or they don't know how to help him put a resume together or whatever else he needs in, the, in order to survive, you know, that's a lot you're asking of the family. And if neither the family or him is trained properly or, or has the right services in place, you know, what kind of success are you expecting? Right? Exactly. So, and a lot of times, you know, you find that sometimes, even if we're talking about mental health services, you know, it's not looked at as something like people are jumping to get to, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they're coming home and in denial or not ready to get help, and as far as mental health services go, that's another battle, right? So now you, you have to deal with the system, you gotta deal with the person, right? And now you're dealing with, for a lot, post-incarceration syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, which could prevent them from getting jobs and living healthy. And there's so many variables to this, it really is. It it's is. a lot of variables. And, you know, this is part of the reason why I and you know, coaching the wives or spouses of our incarcerated because if you are totally unaware of what your loved one has to go through, mm-hmm. you're gonna be blindsided and somebody's gonna kick your foot your foot and you're gonna fall right in your back. You're gonna you go oh my gosh. You're gonna be up for some unexpected and, and, and just you just can't be unaware in this in this life, right? This journey you have to be prepared and you personally have to be ready to handle this. So if you are someone who's uh, in a relationship with someone who's coming home and your confidence and your self-esteem and your finances and, you know, your children are unruly, like I could, you know, we could go on and on. If you are not together, it's gonna be that so much more harder because you're not only having to deal with your inner issues you're gonna have to deal with his and guide him he's mm. not gonna be able to do it by himself you're gonna be playing almost i call it like mother you know it's almost like to a sense you are his mom wow especially if you're gonna be uh especially if your partner went in as juvenile or if your partner did lots of years you know there are a lot of things you're gonna have to do to to help him along and it's gonna take years you know he's not coming home to save anybody Mm. You have to kind of save him and guide him. That's powerful. So, yeah. And it's, it's that mentality a lot of women think, oh, as soon as he comes home, he'll get a job and I don't have to work so many hours or I don't have to do this. I'm like, she's going to have a reality check. Got you. Um, so. Going through that process, how did it make you a better leader? Ooh, how did it make me a better leader? 
That's a great question. Uh, well, I, I definitely am not the same person I was for sure. I, I, I think first, I'm a better leader for myself. Mm, okay. Number one, I am a better leader. I lead myself better. And, and to be a good leader, to lead other people, you need to be able to lead yourself. That's right. So I have demonstrated to myself that I am capable of doing things on my own without people holding my hand. I'm capable of going, setting goals and achieving my goals. You know, while he was gone, I was able to, you know, compete and win in like figure competitions. I have a wall full of trophies and uh, medals from races I've competed in, like 200 mile races with in organized teams, fundraised. I competed in Dancing with the Stars here in Maryland for Alzheimer's Association. And I was the number one fundraiser for that. And it's like, when I look back on all these feats and things I accomplished, it's like, in the moment you're like, how in the world am I ever gonna do this? How is this even gonna be possible? And, you know, those, those are just a couple of the things I did. So I've always been an achiever, but I, I learned the power within myself and I learned like, one, I'm stronger than I really than I really knew. And two, life isn't, you know, the concept of life isn't hard. It's really just the doing part that people get stuck on. Mm. Right? Do you, what, what do you, can you uh, break that down a little bit? Sure. Like, uh, I'll use uh, losing weight, for example. <clears throat> so I'm a personal trainer as well. My career, in my career, I started out as a personal trainer. You know, everyone pretty much for the most part knows how to lose weight, right? That's right. So if I ask you, how do you lose weight? What would you say? I'll cut back on calories, exercise, go to sleep early, maybe uh, drink more water. Things that like is that. perfect. That was like you hit on sleep. What? Yeah, that was great. So, but why? Why are so many people overweight? They purposely. I mean, I guess they're not committed enough, or they don't want it that bad, or they kind of tell themselves excuses. Like, ah, oh, you know what, I'll do it next year. Ah, oh, you know what, maybe five, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, they kind of blow it off. Yeah, so like, you already have the information in your hand, literally, you have everything. You have the information, but people aren't just, people aren't acting on the information and they're not being consistently, they're not consistently following through with the action. Because we can start, but you gotta finish, you gotta right? Finish. So like myself, when I was competing, think about it, I was a single mom. I'm going through this grieving period in my life. I'm at one of the worst, it was the worst period of my life. But yet I'm still up on stage and I'm beating people who probably aren't maybe in that same mental space I'm in. Mm -hmm. I'm in. But you know what I did? Every single day I did something to get to my goal. And people joke with me now because they know back in the day there were some days I literally did not have time. I didn't have time to work out. I always had time to work out. You know why? Why? If I could do a five minute workout, guess what I did? You did a five minute workout. I did a five minute workout. I said, oh, I don't got time to work out today, but I can hit these arms for five minutes. And I just kept going. Mm -hmm. Or if I needed to do cardio that day, I'm gonna hop on that tread, I mean, hop on the, uh, the stepper. Yo, that thing was was blaring. I was on a sprint for five minutes and I was, you know, dying. <laughs> I did something every single day. There was never an excuse for me not to reach my goal to show my children that anything was possible. Wow. There was never an excuse great enough for me not to want to 
ha- let my children have happy memories during the saddest part of my life. You know what they remember? They remember mommy achieving. Mm. Oh, I gotta show you something. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't go nowhere. Yeah. I got it right here. This right here. Mm-hmm. So this is a keychain. I don't know if you can see it, but this is a keychain that my son made for me. Wow. So that's me in the middle with a yellow trophy. Wow. And that's the number one. It's like the Olympics, you're right. So this mm-hmm. my son gave it to me when he was probably about maybe four. I don't remember how old he was. He was really young. And when he gave this, this means a lot to me because this tells me if the teacher asked him to draw something and this is what he came up with, I said, that's I'm awesome. doing a good job. I'm doing a good job. So this means something to me. So, and it's funny, now that I'm speaking to you, I should go back and ask, what do you remember? I should ask him what he remembers during that time frame. That'd be curious. (laughs) Uh, For the other women that are about to enter a situation similar to yours, from the experience you've gleaned and just had, what advice would you give them in terms of how to cope with that situation. Mm, that life is not over. You do not have to wait to continue to enjoy life. You do not need to feel guilty about enjoying your life. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel that grief and to and to understand that you are grieving. It is a grief you're going through. It's okay. And there's no timeline on grief. But at some point, you have to move forward and say, hey, I am responsible for my life. And start taking responsibility for how your life is going to turn out. That's right. For how your future is going to look. Because we can sit here and blame our spouse or whoever. We could be talking about anything right now. The moment you decide that, hey, no one's at fault and I'm in control, and I have the power to create the future I want, that is the moment you will start feeling better. Wow. The moment that you, re- the moment you cl- not reclaim, the moment you claim your power, the moment you claim your <laughs> responsibility. So at some point when you're, you know, we gotta, we gotta move forward and, and step into our power. That's right. So moving forward, you, you know, you've experienced all that, it's changed you, it's, impacted you are able to pull that positivity out of it and you know become stronger um what are you building now because you know you have this positive uh love mindset the the prison love mindset and the uh it's like you have programs now and you're like look if they won't do it these multi-million dollar and i'll do it myself and help these women so talk to about some of the programs or structures that you started putting together. Yeah, so my first, me, myself, I am a very like goal-oriented person. So one of my things is that I want to see other women in similar situations succeed. I want to see them do big things and be like, look what I did while he was incarcerated instead of the opposite and them not achieving anything. So. Currently, I I have a 12-week program where I'm helping women really get back to a space where they are taking the action to wake up excited to start their day, 
and they're working toward whatever, whatever their passion is in life and smiling again. My God, you know, I used to go to work with my fake smile. I call it a mask, wow. but I was really deeply hurting on the inside. And I, I want to see these women really just get to a point where that smile is genuine, right? So I help them during this 12 weeks get to that place of changing their perspective. There's a reason why I titled my business Prison Love Mindset because it's a it's a combination of you know your relationship and also your mind. You know what you think, what you think stem it, it, it translates to your actions, right? That's right? So changing your perspective about your situation, you know. So like for myself, you know, I changed my perspective on having an incarcerated spouse by saying, you know, private schools would love to have my children my children at their school because it'd be a great success story. Mm -hmm. So like one example, that moved me to want to go apply for uh, private schools for my children. I've changed the whole trajectory of my children's education and life just because of that one change in perspective. So, and at the end, the goal is to get them, once they change their mindset, is to get them back on a path where they're focusing on what their passions and goals are. So now they're, they don't, they don't even realize it, but they're, even after week one, they're already feeling better. And so imagine how, after 12 weeks, how much better. So they're no longer focused on their grief all the time, but they're focused on the things that are pushing the needle forward for them. And now I'm moving into a space where I'm doing relationship coaching. So I'm providing relationship coaching for all prison impacted couples. So whether they're currently in car, if one partner is currently incarcerated or if they're in a the post incarceration stage. So. Wow coaching services and then my next move I am actually in the process right now of developing a program to help uh, couples or especially the, the, the spouse at home develop a deeper connection with their loved one how do they communicate better so a lot of times women you know one of the biggest things is trust right, right. or feeling good enough about themselves so and really just teach it, coping, helping them cope through that, all that, and how to build healthy relationships, but build a healthier person in the process. That's right. So that's one project I'm working on now. Awesome. There's a lot of things I have going on, but one awesome. thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So those that are interested, how do they get in contact with you? How do they reach out? How do they sign up for your programs? Yeah, awesome. So they can reach me by email, hello at prisonlovemindset.com. You can DM me on Instagram, Fit Prison Wife. So Fit as in Fit Prison Wife. Awesome. <laughs> and you can go to my website, Prison Love Mindset. You can set an appointment up with me as well. Let's see. I hit all the channels. Oh, I'm on Facebook. Awesome. So Prison Love Mindset. That's my business page. You can send me a message there as well. And I'm on YouTube. Ooh. Prison Love Mindset again. So you'll find a lot of videos of me and my husband all the way back until when he ugh, was newly coming home. Ooh, those are some rough videos. <laughs> so those are all the places you can find me. Awesome. Amazing. And guys, we'll give you guys direct access to those links. If you know somebody, if you're somebody currently, you have an incarcerated other, a significant other, you know somebody, a family member, a cousin, a nephew, a friend, even somebody that just, maybe a thought just popped into your head now, make sure you give them that link. Make sure you refer them to Tamika's content, right? Because things like this, they usually get swept under the rug and hey, we don't want to talk about it and no, that's not it. And those people tend to like, you know, it, it, I don't think it's good for things like that to be locked on the inside of you 
and not have some kind of coping mechanism that's actually positive or a support group or somebody like Tamika that has the massive amounts of experience and she's building and she has other people that she's working with and helping them to um, untwine and you know really create a positive mindset as to how to have a better perspective with the whole situation and in our community we know hey look uh, there's a high chance that somebody that you know is either in jail has been to jail um, I tell people my story all the time I've been to jail too before so yeah exactly you never said that to me yeah that's on my trailer for the podcast that's the first thing I mentioned I, I tell my story um, I did about what was it five months well, we met at Neo's mastermind so we never really got a chance to even go into that so exactly. which, why it's, it's news to me oh wow how about that how about that um, so I understand and I really see the value of what it is that you're doing and I can relate on levels that maybe the average individual or Joe wouldn't but uh, it's been exciting talking to you uh, Tamika my masterminders again make sure you grab we're gonna have those links anybody that comes into thought make sure you go ahead and let them know here's a valuable resource they need to tap into all right masterminders until next time Thank you for listening to the Mastermind Your Life podcast with Tolu Owoyemi. We hope you enjoy. Be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform and follow Tolu on Instagram at T-O-L-U dot O-W-O-Y-E-M-I. Keep mastering your life and we'll see you here next time.